Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm Kit Kennedy. Last week, Carrie Meyer talked us through a good number of things, but among the pearls of wisdom she threw out for us was one about working with the shadows in our lives. The truth is, as much as we might want to avoid negative emotion or negative things that have happened in our life, we can't. And it's times like this when COVID-19 has large sections of the world on lockdown that we might find ourselves alone with our thoughts, our emotions, and the conversations that we have with those who know us best might actually be raising some interesting questions. These questions may pertain to whether or not the lives that we're living are true to who we really are on the inside, maybe pertaining to resilience and whether or not our jobs can bounce back or our life can bounce back to the way it was before. It's a good time to be talking about resilience and it's a good time to be talking about authenticity. I found Lance Pyburn on Instagram where all of the cool kids are. Apart from you, if you're not on Instagram, I'm sure you're one of the cool kids. Anyway, Lance has been doing a lot of interesting work in the area of resilience and authenticity. And his is a life story that has called him to walk into some really deep territory here. I hope you enjoy what he has to say. Get yourself a cuppa and settle in. Hello, Lance. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. How was your Easter? It was, <laughs> it was good. It was different. <laughs> than what it's we're... a loaded question during a pandemic, <laughs> isn't it? Did you celebrate in your lounge room or yeah. your kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We, what did we do? We, I mean, we were basically in the living room. Um, mm-hmm. My, the, <laughs> Um, the uh, church that I attend does virtual services, so um, I was able to like listen to those. Uh, and we watched a couple of kind of like Easter themed, like sitcom-y kind of oh. things. That was kind of like what we did. It's it was very oh, different than we were in person with folks. Yeah. <laughs> How was yours? It is, isn't it? Oh, look, it was um, It was the first year that I think both of my kids really understood Easter. So uh-huh. um, although my, my daughter, Allegra, um, she calls it the Mr. Bunny instead of the Easter Bunny. And, um, <laughs> That's great, though. <laughs> And we try to explain to them, so you know, why do we celebrate Easter? It's because... Jesus died and then they kind of interrupted at that point and they're like you died you died and we're like oh, you know what um this conversation can wait I think yeah. maybe <laughs> yeah. and the, the sugar high was real but you know, you know we've, we've survived it and and we're on to just you know coping with the rest of the lockdown now <laughs> there you go yeah just um, lockdown as usual <laughs> yeah so do you um like do you serve at your church in terms of like music or anything like that have you been involved in putting together these online? Yeah, any of the, yeah, the, mm. I guess the, um, the services. I do not serve in a mm-hmm. music capacity, probably for the best of everyone involved. Uh, but yeah. I, <laughs> but it's I, just a um, joyful noise. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, I, I, I do help out in general, and I am mm-hmm. one of the, I guess, leaders of the church. I'm on our church council. It's kind of the mm-hmm. breakdown of how we organize things, and I, I helped with some recording for our Palm Sunday um, services and then our our Black Friday services. So we did try to, you know, incorporate a couple of different folks in the congregation so that you could then kind of read. Um, We read a few verses and and just wanted to at least try to create more of a visual representation of the virtual community, uh, you know, versus just having the one person or, you know, our or pastor. I, I go to a relatively yeah. small church overall. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's it's not that hard to get a hand. You know, we're we're getting a good quarter of the pop of the of the church population on the on the service if you just record a handful of oh, us. That's you know. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it was yeah. it was actually fun to be involved that way. That was a very different yeah. experience. Um, yeah, I, I serve on the music team at the church Ooh. I currently attend. Um, and it's it's really weird because we're not allowed to, in Australia, the restrictions at the moment are such that you can't actually be in the one room um, with someone who's gotcha. not a part of your household. Correct. So we Same. have to do this like recording thing online. And I, I have to yep. admit, I'm scared. Like, <laughs> you know, this is, but anyway, something, something about being able to do all things through Christ and technology who strengthens me or something i don't know yeah i'll get there <laughs> <laughs> now, I, 
I stumbled across you on the gram. Um, oh, yeah. And I was instantly fascinated by your bio that said that you were uh, the man behind the Brave New Love blog and that you were doing work in the spaces to do with resilience and authenticity. And right. as we are sitting in a pandemic that has a lot of us trapped inside the house with either our own thoughts and emotions or our relationships or um our, our you know our lives the highs and low of it i i thought it's a yep. it's a good time to talk about resilience so can you tell me a little bit and authenticity can you tell me a little bit about brave new love and how that came to be came to be yes brave new love is um my authenticity brand basically um mm -hmm. it started off focusing specifically on creating space and encouraging others to live authentically through a discussion of life wellness and faith um mm -hmm. i thought through those three pillars or those kind of tenets to focus on um just because those were areas that for me and my own kind of authenticity journey uh yeah. that we'll we'll get into a little bit later uh mm -hmm. you know that kind of has taken yeah. a lot of my life to to walk uh those yeah. three areas were i guess aspects that created monumental change uh for me and my life and helping me to live more authentically um so it started off as a blog um and kind mm -hmm. of a a platform for me to share my story. Um, and now I'm starting the process of opening up and kind of sharing um, stories of authenticity from other folks as well, who uh, don't just have a LGBTQ uh, background like myself, um, opening yeah. up to folks of, of color, um, and then also folks who are uh, women in leadership roles um, in, mm. in the church and otherwise, uh, you know, there's countless examples of how uh we i guess are or, or we can be sometimes uh challenged to maybe not present our authentic selves to the world around us um right. and the whole idea mm -hmm. with brave new love is to create a space to encourage folks to work on those um areas uh yourself mm -hmm. and then again share it with the world yeah and i mean that's it's such an amazing project and i just love the heart behind it um i remember i'm a ghostwriter by trade <clears throat> so i help people write books or i write books for them depending on the author yeah. um and i remember one one guy that i was um i was a manuscript coach for him and he was talking about his own authenticity journey and um he was kind of talking about relationships and how those bonds can can be healthy or unhealthy and how um your your value can kind of either come from outside or inside and that that's something that you mentioned when we were chatting before i hit record on this now I think it's a really important thing for us to be able to sit with and examine at this time is where our locus of self-esteem comes from because if our yeah. locus of self-esteem comes from something that isn't authentic to us that can really mess with the process can't it could you talk me through your thoughts on that yes absolutely create that dissonance um mm -hmm. uh so my my experience uh on that front is started off just with with my background a little bit um and that mm -hmm. kind of influenced um kind of where i draw or like or where i was pulling my validation from so like i Do said already telling yeah. you about that background yeah to leave absolutely yeah. um mm. so i uh like i said i'm a, i'm a gay man uh i'm part of the lgbt uh community um and yeah. i grew up in a very small and rural um and conservative town in central mm. texas um and so I guess like, uh, spoiler <laughs> alert, there, I had some trouble growing up and kind of accepting who I was along the way um, based off of that Gosh. background. Yeah, yeah. So, hello Bible uh, Belt, hello conservatism. Yeah, and, mm, yeah exactly. Christ <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So um, without like, you know, boring too much of those like uh, details and whatnot. Basically, uh, we were we were a uh, we were a church family. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I said, we went to like it was already a small town, but we went to a 
what would you call a cowboy church um, where our pastor <laughs> what, <laughs> um, didn't have necessarily a, like formal seminary training, um, uh-huh. but basically just went based off of our, you know, his interpretation of the Bible and kind of very much had yeah. a lot of cultural um, influences there as well. Um, anyway, so we were heavily involved. My dad led the music and uh, did the Sunday school services for like the younger, like the children's church kind of thing. And my mom kind of helped out with like the Christmas, like pageants and all that kind of stuff. And died in the wool. (laughs) (laughs) This was, was, yeah. We were doing it. Yeah. I, uh, I tell people that I, I was not a preacher's kid, uh, but my dad was a Gideon. If you're familiar with uh, the Gideons Uh, and kind of what they do. And so we would, we would travel with him um, and kind of, you know, uh, show up uh, to a couple of different, uh, I guess, churches around the general area um, Mm -hmm. where we were basically you know, he was basically asking for donations and whatnot for the Gideons. And so we would kind of show up as like his support system, um, which was Mm -hmm. fun. It would be really fun to see like a group of like uh, primitive Baptists, uh, like in a church of Pentecostals, you know, when they're like uh, dancing in the pews and all that kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) And we like can barely clap and like keep rhythm and whatnot because we weren't allowed to dance in our church. Um, oh, I was dancing. I was a dancing in the pews girl, but um, oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> I'm now more of a dancing anywhere kind of girl, for, so I understand oh. like, that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, anyway, but all that to say, um, I uh, was all fine and good with um, I basically growing up in church until I kind of stumbled upon what folks refer to as the clobber verses, which would be those, Mm -hmm. you know, the verses that kind of uh, pretty directly uh, talk through homosexuality um, in the current kind of iterations of the Bible. And that did not go over well with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I very much took it to heart. Um, I remember in church, on each Sunday morning, basically flipping through the Bible. Um, I would, you know, keep my place into wherever we were at for the sermon, but then I would flip through to find another clobber verse to kind of read it again and mm. just like hope maybe that it was wrong um, or that, you know, I might be able to find a way that I I worked, you know, that I yeah. fit. Um, yeah. Anyway, and that started pretty early. I I kind of knew that I had an attraction towards men pretty early on. Um, I would say like third grade, uh, for Mm -hmm. me. And I just assumed that everyone had that same attraction towards the same sex. If if that made any sense, (laughs) I just thought it was just normal. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I read those verses that kind of told me, no, that's not something that everyone has. And that's not something that, um, was okay. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of, part of, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say it's interesting because we know growing up we have that deep sense of what's right and what's wrong. Um, But so many people that I speak to, say, around third grade or around age 10, I knew that I was attracted to, you know, the same sex or the opposite sex. And there's no sense of this was wrong until that indoctrination kind of steps in and they have to start to grapple with those clobber scriptures. So the authenticity struggle must have started there for you um right and we can delve into and i've got uh, i've got other guests who will delve into why those club scriptures are not based on yeah anyways this is a whole nother thing but (laughs) (laughs) that would be outside of my as a as a lay person that would be outside of my um like scope to talk through theology for sure but basically in terms of just my experience of it um, mm-hmm. it created this fear. I, I mean, candidly, mm-hmm. in a very small and conservative um, culture, I was mm-hmm. pretty scared for my like safety, you know, and just like yeah, kind sure. of just uh, being quote unquote found out. Um, I uh-huh. think at first I was really concerned. It was kind of between me and God. This is like 10 year old mm-hmm. Lance, like, so this like a oh. little child. But, you know, at first I felt like the the issue was between me and God that he like yeah. he was not okay with me. And then uh-huh. when I found out that, you know, I kind of come to terms with that was bad. That was a non-starter. I was probably not going to be, uh, you know, I was accepting the fact that I was going to be going to hell 
the thought of the thought of others and being found out in this current life became just as scary, if that made sense. Yeah. So it does. Yeah. So I started to, um, you know, do a lot of what we call masking um, or splitting, Mm -hmm. uh, where basically you would split what you presented to the rest of the world um, Mm -hmm. and and just starting that authenticity schism, uh, if you will, Mm -hmm. where what I was presenting to the world around me was what I thought they wanted mm-hmm. to see in terms of, um, I'm a very flamboyant like person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and oh, so sad. there really wasn't sad. a lot of the gay <laughs> that you couldn't like, you know, push back into the, into the jar <laughs> at that time, if you will, like it was just there. But I found yeah. out that if you were quiet, you know, if you didn't draw a lot of attention to yourself, if you wore baggy clothes, you yeah. could kind of fit in. If, if um, you dress terribly, nobody will think. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, And and we laugh and yet it's the least funny thing in the world. Here's here's (laughs) my, my dirty secret, Lance, is I'm a terrible flirt. Like I'm a bubbly personality and I just... I love talking to people, but growing up, that was a part of me that I had to mask. It's not that I was flirting because I was trying to seduce people. It's just that there was this bubbly personality and this desire to connect that often became a thing that I'd have to wear shame for. Um, Mm. That And whether or not that was specifically pushed on me from other people or whether it was because I realised I'd be treated a certain way and kind of internalised that. That was that was part of my my thing that I masked. I've also always been a thinker, and I discovered that that was a really easy way to kind of get myself in trouble was to be too outspoken with my opinions. Right. So I masked that. Um, yep. I haven't like I haven't had to kind of um like I'm straight that's a I guess I call it straight privilege but um Mm -hmm. you know a couple of the people closest to me are gay or lesbian and I just absolutely treasure them and want to go back in time to this point that you're talking about little Lance who's trying to look as bland as he possibly can with the rainbow kind of exploding out of him and just want to hug them like you know like you do you you're fine you're perfect (laughs) (laughs) but I guess we all have that mask and all have that split yeah that we and have that's to confront definitely mm. and that's kind of what the brave new love um uh mission kind of falls out of is that yeah there is a lot of what informed my story or my um i guess like authenticity mm-hmm. journey that mm-hmm. is specific to lgbtq but just like you said um there are so many other aspects of our identities or personalities that can be impacted by our surroundings. A lot of it yeah. is, uh, a lot of it can be uh, associated with church and religion and religious trauma mm-hmm. to a lot of extent. But there, mm-hmm. you know, there are many folks uh, who I've, I guess, uh, during my process and my story, at one point, I, I left the church and spent quite a bit of time away, um, yeah. kind of fortifying my, I guess, identity as a gay man and, and mm-hmm. meeting people of all different outlooks and worldviews and religions um, or not not a religion and they all still had some of these these struggles that they were dealing Mm -hmm. with on a regular basis and I think that it's a I think it's a point that we can connect with each other on um, as humans Uh, and I think that that's something that uh, is is worth listening to when other people are willing to talk and share yeah now this this uh, this issue of where you get your value from, I exactly. think, is something that look I've been thinking about it heaps. Is my identity in that I'm a mother? Does my value come from how my children see me? Does my value come from how my work sees me? Does my value come from my relationship? Um, mm-hmm. Does it even come from my faith and what this particular translation of the Bible in front of me says about women? Or um, you know. It, there's there's a million different places that we can kind of draw our value from. How did you and how do you help other people confront this question of of where their value comes from and and help us to come from a more um, healthy place with that? Right. Um, my right now my uh, 
work so far has just been kind of identifying that and working on it with my own um, wife, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. working through like where I'm finding my validation, um, both yeah, whether it's internally or externally, um, because kind of like I said, uh, the in addition to this religion aspect of everything, I I noticed that I had made a lot of choices in my professional career um, that mm-hmm. were informed by this, I guess, amalgamation of what I thought success looked like. Um, oh, talk to <laughs> me. So, talk to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, in terms of like working, I live in Austin, Texas. It's not a huge city by any means, but like wanting to work downtown and one of the big the big high rises um, and, you know, uh, have like a, what would be considered like a power, uh, uh, like Mm -hmm. a power job of some type. Um, I did that and I was not fulfilled um, doing those things. And so uh, the thing with that is that that role and that kind of work wasn't the problem. It was just that it didn't fit or match with the type of um, professional that I was wanting to be because I'd been taking Mm -hmm. and making these determinations. And so um, to answer your question in a shorter, more pointed version, resiliency is, or resilience, just this topic is kind of a term that I uh, have started to utilize definitely right now during COVID-19, but even prior to kind of help folks identify what it is uh, internally in terms of a value system that Mm -hmm. matters to them, basically. Um, Sometimes that's faith-based and sometimes it's not. Um, Yeah. But basically that's kind of the starting point um, is that Mm. identifying what that value system is, how we can kind of match that with our decisions that we're making on a day-to-day um, basis. Um, I think that that's, that's part of that beginning process is kind of having thoughts about, about those areas for ourselves. Now, this is, uh, well, I have a couple of things to say. Yeah. One is that I'm so excited that you found a church that is not only welcoming, but affirming. You said that you serve on the church council and um, I love that. That's really encouraging uh, for me out here. I'm about to move to Melbourne with my family and um, trying to find an affirming church has been a big uh, big thing for me. So anyway, that, that was just kind of a side note and that's Good really encouraging. Yeah. Um, Good luck with the I, move. Thank you. Um, COVID-19 screws everything up. (laughs) Um, Takes me back to an interview that I did last week and we were really talking about how some people's experience within religious systems uh, puts them in a situation where their value system comes from what their pastors say about them or what they believe God's judgment towards them is. um, And they believe that their values have to come out of that or they're not, or or they're substandard values. And it's an interesting part of a person's deconstruction to actually look at these things and go, okay, um, is this true? Is this helpful? Does it serve me now? Um, Mm -hmm. Because sometimes our relationship with church it's a little bit like the tide and it comes and goes. And sometimes we're in a really good place. Sometimes we're not, but the thing that keeps us resilient and keeps us kind of standing up the whole way through has to be this solid foundation of, of not needing somebody else's validation to say, okay, you can have a ministry now, or you can start a podcast or you can blog or you can be valid (laughs) or, or you can, you know, you can go through a knockback in your life and be okay. Um, So, yeah, I I find that a little bit fascinating. In terms of awareness, this might be a tricky question, but what are some questions we can ask ourselves to kind of assess how we're going there? If we're sitting home during COVID-19, we're dealing with this sense of unease, this sense of anxiety, and we're going, okay, I need to build up my resilience somehow. Right. Starting with this question of where does my value come from? How do you raise people's awareness and, and help them through this? Or how have you done that with yourself? Yeah, definitely. So my um, my application for the, I guess, resilience training um, to 
to COVID specifically uh, was mm-hmm. basically just to first kind of talk through and kind of introduce like the concept of resilience for my, I guess, like community um, yeah. on Brave New Love uh, and just introduce what it is and basically say yeah. that you have that uh, and that you mm-hmm. have a quotient of resilience and it's not something that you need to go out and, you know, buy a, like a like a book series or something and start working yeah. on. Um, you <laughs> currently have it and it's something that we can all improve over time. But um, just with resilience kind of being defined as the ability to overcome change or stressful situations, um, it's been important at least for me and my experience with COVID-19 so far and then for some of the folks that I've been working with just based off of uh, me sharing uh, these resiliency trainings on on my mm-hmm. Instagram page is to Do kind of talk out, through, uh, yeah <laughs> check it out yeah there's uh, basically I broke it down into three parts um, uh, just because it is uh, at least the original training that I started with was uh, about an hour in, in length. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can you know take a little bit, but um, yeah. speaking uh, specific to the, the thing to keep in mind for something as uh, life shifting as uh, COVID-19 can be um, and life impacting is mm-hmm. uh, basically how we respond to uh, stressors. And so yeah. one thing that I would have folks do um, with, or basically the thing that I opened up with, uh, with Brave New Love Resilience was to have folks kind of come up with a list of stressors that they expected or that were mm-hmm. popping up in their day-to-day life um, and then yeah. start kind of identifying how they responded to those stressors. Um, and then the biggest the biggest piece uh, was to talk through two types of approaches or responses to um, stressful situations and those two different types of responses being one emotion focused uh coping responses Mm -hmm. and then two would be problem focused coping uh Mm -hmm. uh, responses and so basically letting you or myself know this is something that i struggle with very regularly is uh wanting to make sure that i'm doing something correct or i'm doing something right Um, Uh and not wanting to, especially with emotions and reactions, I find myself emotion policing regularly, basically saying, oh, Mm -hmm. that's not the right way to respond to the situation. Um, (laughs) And then coming through the, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And getting through that first aha moment with resiliency um, or just resilience training in general and realizing that emotion-focused coping strategies such as denial or self-distraction or blame or venting or complaining, some of those that I just listed, my old worldview would tell me that that is not okay. You know, that that, like when something goes wrong, you don't need to vent and complain. Oh my gosh, those whining people that are, you know, they're just (laughs) (laughs) causing problems. They're not coming with solutions, you know, right? But the Mm -hmm. business world, we don't like that at all. We want you to be solution oriented. Um, (laughs) But realizing that it's completely natural and okay to have some of those responses um, and that they matter for a time is just so like, I guess uh, it's just, allowing that pressure to kind of be released a little bit um, at the beginning to know that it's okay to not know the answer right to get. Um, and yeah, then yeah. after going through some of those emotion focused uh, coping strategies, after you vent for a little bit, or maybe you deny that the yeah. issue is like as bad yeah. as it's going to be, you know, we've all done, <laughs> we all thought, oh, well, you know, we'll be back to normal life, quote unquote, like in a couple mm. weeks from now or whatever it is. Um, what even is that? <laughs> yeah, what, what even is that, right? After we do that emotional focused coping strategy and, and, and allow space for us to have that moment, then we can get to the problem focused coping strategies, yeah. which would be to take action, make a plan, positively frame yeah. the situation into basically understanding where you have like control over impacting um, certain things and what is outside of your control. Um, 
Okay, yeah. so we've got how do I feel and we've got what do I do? And they're two different questions from what you're saying to me. And we actually need to kind of answer them both in a way so that when it comes to the action plan, that can come from a healthy spot and not a vengeful or fanciful or avoidant place. Exactly. And to think that yeah. we or the constant thing that I have um, had to remind myself in my own experience with authenticity and then it applies to resilience um, and also with some of the folks that I work with in my community is basically just letting them know that they don't need to constantly or letting us all know that we don't need to constantly be assigning a grade to ourselves and mm -hmm. how we are mm -hmm. acting or responding or um, doing, if you will, like, uh, yeah. Uh, along the way. And I think that that's something that can easily get in, yeah. in the way of progress. <laughs> in something yeah, like that. that is so interesting. I think the habit that I had kind of become accustomed to um, during my, I guess my teens and my twenties was this idea that there was a negative emotion. Um, yeah which which kind of equates it equated in my mind to bad emotion and yep. if there was bad emotion there was good emotion and so i'd kind of try to stop myself from feeling bad emotion and what i'm realizing now that i'm doing a whole lot of work with people in the um in my other line of work is in the kind of neuroscience and um, mm -hmm. functional neurology space which is amazing so fascinating but um is that there's is. no such thing as bad emotion this is all stuff that actually helps us to process neurologically uh, inside our brain yep. the environment that we're living in and if we deny that emotion that that can become a deeply unhealthy thing it can become like a festering wound inside of us and even as we're sitting here kind of trapped in our houses that feeling of being caged animals and having the police check up to see whether we're home um, I'm seeing a lot of people vent on Facebook and hey that's fine but let's not make it about the police that are actually just doing their job in, in Australia right. or in Italy or wherever you are but actually about this feeling if I don't like what I'm feeling right now um, but I'm feeling it and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah. cause, cause eventually, eventually this we'll find a new normal and I hope it's a kinder normal and a bit more of an intentional and connected normal than the old one, but I'm an idealist. I um, agree. And I am also yeah. a, I am also a pragmatic optimist as well. <laughs> a pragmatic optimist. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I kind of I kind of found that like because even in the Bible there's a I, I think it's Moses God tell or maybe Abraham told him be angry but sin not so the emotion isn't the sin it's what we do that determines you know our our standing with God in, yeah. in my mind so so breaking the question up feel the feels and then do the do's <laughs> yeah um, yeah exactly that's, that's a really good recipe yeah. Um, you mentioned a resilience quotient when we were talking prior to yes. this. Yes. Oh, Talk to ahead. me about that. Mm. Yes. So it might be helpful to kind of give a quick um, context into how I started working with resilience and then yeah. kind of what uh, or how I view it overall. The research that I um, base my discussions on it on top mm -hmm. of so basically uh, my first so uh in college i was involved with a nonprofit where we uh, biked from texas to alaska to raise money for cancer research and support services um it That's was such a, a long ride <laughs> it was a long ride four thousand miles um and it Ugh. was it was amazing it was during my time of not being with the church um uh -huh. of kind of experiencing you know different things and um, it was not, uh, like, like I said, my experience wasn't like Christian in nature, but it was still a very spiritual, like experience in my life, kind of turning point mm -hmm. in how I kind of viewed the world and my own like capabilities. Um, I went on to work for that nonprofit and my main role was to select and train and ready those cyclists, um, to okay. do the thing that I had done. And I was like, all right, I can do this. Um, mm -hmm. so <laughs> we, wow. uh, because I, uh, had, was coming into a system where we already had some training involved for the riders um for their physical um kind of like training and then their fundraising and all of that 
we found out that a hole that was in the program was that we didn't have any training for the mental and um, kind of emotional mm-hmm. stressors of a 4,000 mile bike ride. And so mm-hmm. I was majoring in um, uh, uh, health promotion um, at uh, the University of Texas, um, or I had majored rather, excuse me, um, when yeah. I was in school. And one of my professors researched resiliency, uh, and she wow. was basically researching it specific to um, uh, wellness and how folks handled and dealt with um, different aspects of diabetes. And so I basically mm-hmm. worked with her to create this training for um, my college students that were, that were doing this bike ride. Um, and yeah. so the definition that we used and then the the four or the, excuse me, the three tenets uh, of what kind of uh, made up resiliency is based off of Dr. Steinhardt's research. Um, and okay. those are challenge, which would be the ability to see change or obstacles as an opportunity to adapt or improve. Um, mm-hmm. Commitment, an individual's level of involvement in a cause, adherence to an established value system or a level of investment in others. And then the final one is control. So the degree to which an individual perceives themselves to be influential and able to impact the world around them. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of like an actual quotient, she doesn't necessarily provide a model where you can create like a number, you know, and kind of take like a test and get like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that kind of thing. I got a Um, nine, guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of an Enneagram takeaway or something. Yeah. Where you get to like uh, have that, um, and there might, like I, uh, like I said in a previous conversation that we'd had, there's, there might be some resilience researchers out there that have developed something to that regard, um, uh, mm. just like shame and some other topics. It's, there's a lot of researchers yeah. out there that's creating a lot of good work. Um, but this yeah. one doesn't necessarily doesn't do that, but it does help you at least give a framework of what's my commitment like in yeah. the situation of, say, COVID-19. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like talking through like that specific, the commitment, and this is the one that I think matters the most, um, is basically is the person's, um, adherence to that established value system, which I'd said earlier. Um, and then also the level of investment of others around them, whether it just be, you know, your close immediate nucleus family, or maybe some, um, chosen family. Um, I think that Mm -hmm. that my personal thought is that out of the three like tenets of uh, resilience is that that commitment or that like investment in other people can be really influential in one's yeah. own resilience response. Now, this is, um, I think, a point worth talking about because a lot of people, when they think of resilience, they think it means the ability to overcome every obstacle or it means the ability to bounce back over every obstacle after every obstacle. I think it's worth acknowledging here that sometimes you can sit on that commitment question and ask yourself, how much does this matter to me? (laughs) How much do I need to stand my ground here? Because um, I had somebody ask me what's more resilient, a sapling or a tall oak tree. And I was like, well, the oak tree, duh. Yeah. <laughs> and and she said, it's not necessarily true because if you have a large enough stressor come at the oak tree, it'll, it'll you know, it'll topple it over. But yeah. if you have that same stressor come at the sapling, it's going to bend and it's going to bounce back. So we have the opportunity to decide whether or not a fight whether or not a fight is a hill that we're gonna you know whether it's a hill we're gonna die on or not um and some things are so worth the fight like in in my own faith and my my walk with god i came to a point where um it was a horrendous challenge that uh, my husband and i faced and we had to say okay are we giving up on faith or are we staying the course with faith and are we re-evaluating everything else that was around that? And we chose to hold on to faith, but it meant that a few other things had to slide. And, 
you know, over time our theology's changed and um, the nature of our relationship is evolving and I'm losing the complementarian theology that said women couldn't preach or teach or, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're not equal in authority to men. I'm losing that and I'm finding myself to a whole new degree. But it meant that I had to lose some things. But it also meant I had to confront the fact that I had no control over them. Yeah. And that I had to then refocus my energy on the stuff that I could control. Right. So in that way, just as you were saying, okay, challenge, commitment, control, all three of them kind of hit at the same time for me and I had to wade my my way through that mess mm-hmm. and and figure out, okay, what is the, what is the challenge? What aspects do I have control over and what aspects do I want to commit to? Um to carrying with me and yeah that's fascinating so it applies to COVID-19 but it it also applies to gosh so many aspects of life (laughs) yes absolutely I would say that pre like resilience research uh existed prior to COVID-19 for sure (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and 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 probably realistically might be easier to apply to even even very big life changes, but maybe life changes that are smaller than COVID nineteen. A global epidemic yeah. is quite a big one, or pandemic, excuse me, is quite a big yeah, quite a big stressor. <laughs> it, well, yes, it is, and it's it's interesting. I, I feel like my introvert friends are going, "Yeah, girl, this is the moment we've been training for. Like, we've got this." <laughs> and my extrovert friends are going, "Okay, who's got a group membership to Zoom? I need to talk to all yeah. of the people at once." And um, do, uh, if I go to the bottle shop at this time, we'll, we'll the, the um, alcohol shop. I don't know what yep. Americans call that. Will you oh, be there too? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Taking group inter- orders. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's So there's the interpersonal aspect of it, but there's also this aspect of what is the world going to look like when we all emerge from this kind of existential chrysalis of sorts and right. and, and present ourselves with a new normal. Um, yeah. What is, I mean, if COVID-19 is part of the challenge, but the reinvention of businesses and economies and careers and families, that's all going to be part of the challenge when we reemerge. And yeah. um, it's a good time to ask ourselves, where does my value come from? What do yeah. I have control over? What do I want to commit to? So yeah. that's kind of, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful recipe. Um, I suppose a closing question that I haven't warned you about. Uh, okay. So my apologies for that. This podcast kind of came out of a realization that I had that there was a growing number of people who kind of identified as exvangelical or perhaps victims of traumatic doctrine or toxic churches who had mm. had to walk away from their local church or perhaps the church in general, but didn't want to walk away from faith. Yeah. Um, a lot of these people dealt with this kind of shame of of I've felt excluded from the church and wasn't I good enough? And I think our conversation early uh, earlier um, deals with that question of wasn't I good enough and didn't I fit in in that we yeah. have to find our value within. Yeah. But how did you come back to church? You said to that church. for a time you walked away. And yeah, you, you after came my back. sabbatical. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sabbatical. <this is> yeah. <laughs> I um. That's a great question that I love to um, answer. Actually, because it's part of. I, I I'm not one to use, or I try not to use as much religious lingo in in my mm-hmm. uh, conversations now because I try to be aware, you know, of folks that might have apprehensions or maybe uh, they mm-hmm. might be rubbed the wrong way, but I, I feel a little bit of a calling on this front in terms of um, what I feel like God wants me to do. And I think God just wants me to share my voice and just mm-hmm. to speak up. Um, but yep. I, uh, I took my little sabbatical away from um, all things <laughs> church. Uh, and mm-hmm. I did that for two reasons. I did it one because I, had from a very early age had basically just decided that none of this God stuff was like for me as a, you know, Mm -hmm. a gay person. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw it as a a kind of a tired metaphor, but a country club that I 
wouldn't have been allowed into should <laughs> anyone have known, you know, if they'd found yeah. out, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But then I also was also uh, running up against this idea, especially with some of the books that I was reading right towards the end of me leaving, um, that this, uh, this calling and some of the teachings of Jesus in terms of loving people to the levels of um, what I would consider just basically too much. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't give as much love as I thought that I was being called of and to do. And I couldn't love as radically and, and as inclusively as he wanted me wow. to, because I had this completely uh, conservatively skewed worldview that some of the people that I was needing to love were um, not people that I could love. I don't know if yeah. any of that makes sense, but at the same, basically, while I was thinking that I needed um, kind of uh, acceptance and uh, belonging, I was kind of thinking that I couldn't offer that to other people at the same time. Um, because and that of how, is... Oh, that's the curse of internalized homophobia isn't it like yeah it's, exactly it's yeah. a real double-edged sword yep yeah and and also just just kind of a for for my experience with evangelical um upbringings and mm. kind of othering of people who had different mm -hmm. religions um or who oh, you know had different, <laughs> you know all these kind of mm. things i uh basically i was i was picking up on messages not computing correctly like when i was yeah. leaving right yeah both for me personally of being gay but then also realizing like oh wait jesus was hanging out with people who were viewed as not acceptable in society mm -hmm. but why are we creating these huge you know, monumental like buildings of like look at us we are the church kind of thing and not mm -hmm. in involving ourselves with people who are you know housing um uh, yeah. dependent or have trouble feeding themselves. Anyway, all yeah, that to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. I was basically turning into this like um, really intense, um, I guess like radical or progressive Christian, if you will. But I was, mm -hmm. I was just thinking that it wasn't for me. So I did the walk, yeah. like I said, I did the leave uh, and I uh, rode my bike to Alaska and I met a lot of friends who were atheists and agnostics. And um, uh, I met some friends who um, uh, were of the Muslim faith uh, and mm -hmm. and basically started to learn about the world from people that I was told that I was not supposed to interact with. Um, Ugh, and um. I, I, uh, I became an out and proud gay person and that took many phases, which I under, like basically try to put that out there. If anyone is listening to this, who's still in that questioning phase or they're not really sure about who they are, or who God's made them know that it, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Um, mm -hmm. And that happened for me as well. And it wasn't until one of these people that I met uh, on this like new life journey of kind of developing and defining who I was outside of the church and what my beliefs and value systems were. Um, she was also a Christian, but kind of had yeah. a, a slightly different outlook in the same way as I did in terms of wanting to be affirming for LGBT folks. Um, mm -hmm. And she, I was talking to her basically at one point uh, about how I even though I had taken the step out away from uh, faith and uh, from the church, I uh, like couldn't shake the fact that a lot of these values that I had created for myself, or basically accepted and claimed for myself through the nonprofit work that I was doing and mm -hmm. um, all of these experiences that, like I said, didn't have anything to do with church, but they still yeah. seem to align a lot with what Jesus would have said in terms of what his yeah. teachings were in terms of loving radically inclusively and, and lifting others up. And uh, yeah. anyway, my friend said, Hey, uh, I started my, my husband and I uh, started to go to this, you know, affirming church here in town, you're welcome to show up. And so I did, there was about, you know, there's a handful of folks at that first little uh, gathering that I came to just because, like I said, it's yeah. a smaller community church. And then I um, started to come around more, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. they, they yeah. weren't outwardly, um, you know, they didn't 
immediately uh, talk about being affirming or whatnot, but it wasn't until, you know, over the course of two years and going on a mission trip with them mm -hmm. that I uh, finally basically got to the point where I wanted to join the church. Um, I mean, yeah. I had, I had, uh, I had formed connections and relationships with all of these people and mm -hmm. they had made it very, very clear that they were an affirming church and they had been an affirming church since like the, I think seventies or eighties, I think is when they like started. Oy, wow. They were, they were involved with, uh, ahead of the curve. <laughs> they were way ahead of the curve. It's a, it yeah. is a unique. And I love this group of people that I stumbled upon because yeah. my background would have never thought that these, these people would exist in terms of them yeah. being, many of them are of the generation of my grandparents. Um, and they are just as accepting as uh, as anyone that you would imagine. Anyway, but yeah. that that story basically is what what happened. And I actually wrote a blog post on it called um, "Why I Believe in Miracles," uh, and it is probably hopefully a little bit more articulate than what I've <laughs> just stammered out here. But it basically kind of walks through how. At one part in my life, being a uh, or standing in front of a church body and led or asking to be accepted, and them knowing me fully as who I was as a gay man, and yeah. them accepting me back with open arms would have been something that I would have thought was impossible. Um, so I uh, say that it's it's why I believe in miracles, basically. Wow. That's, I think, a perfect place to finish up on. So thank you so much, Lance Pyburn. I would love everyone to go across to Instagram, find brave.new.love. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? That's correct. That's brave new love. Mm -hmm. And, and there's bravenewlove.com. Yeah. Yep. Make sure you go and read that blog post, Why I Believe in Miracles. I think there was a few really valuable takeaways today. One is feel the feels and then, and then create your action plan, but both of them are part of resilience. And uh, the the other thing being, um, you know, control, commitment and challenge in the opposite order and, and really assessing where we get our value from. Um, look, I love it. I love your story because it really shows that um, – that God isn't exclusively in church. He's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, if, if we make our thinking so insular that we can only hear God from a pulpit, we're really missing out on the beautiful learning and growth opportunities um, that are extended to us every single day. So, um, yeah, thank you yeah. for talking to us, Lance, and thank you for tuning in, everybody. That was Lance Pyburn from Brave New Love. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, next week we're talking with Tonya Nash from the Autism and Faith Network. This is going to be a really interesting conversation and I can't wait um, to talk to her about inclusion and accessibility uh, so that church can be something that all people are able to access and enjoy. So that's Tonya Nash from the Autism Faith Network who I'll be talking to next week. In the meantime, uh, yeah, look after yourself and make sure that you get along to bravenewlove.com or check checking Lance's work out on Instagram. Um, he's got some really good stuff out there. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable.